Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of 21 Going On 77. I am your co-host Dwight at 517-2214. I am joined every, uh, almost every week uh, with my host, co-host, uh, Young SJ at SJ Basketball number eight. We about to hit y'all with another episode. Um, apologize to y'all. My wedding anniversary was last weekend, so had to uh, take the weekend off. Me and the wife went out of town. Try. I was thinking about taking my computer, but the wife wasn't trying to hear that, so <laughs> had to go ahead. Enjoy your uh, anniversary. Exactly. So I had to put that on hold for a week, and um, but we're gonna bless y'all this Friday evening. And uh, I won't say a lot happened in the Mavs world, but. Uh, I, I think some interesting quote unquote reports have surfaced from some credible reporters and uh, we're going to chop it up about it real quick. Young SJ, how you been? I've been good. I've been doing okay. Good, good. You know, hanging around. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, first topic we are going to get into, um, you know, we didn't speak last week. So we, you know, we didn't touch, give our two cents on the Jason Kidd slash Nico Harrison press conference. So young SJ, how do you feel about the, uh, the press conference? I mean, I don't really have any personal feelings towards it. To me, it's just, uh, it's just, a, it was just a company press conference at the end of the day. Like if we were to hold every single thing that's said at you know all these press conferences of other teams you know looking back some of the things that are said would look crazy so I I'm I'm not too like they just said it I I saw someone say because I I didn't watch it so I just saw like the quotes coming in on the TL I saw someone say it looked like kid was speaking off a teleprompter like it you know it, it was just like a company press conference so I don't take too much stock into what was said. Um, I have some of the quotes here. Um, they touched on, who is it? Um, the only interesting thing, the only thing that I was extremely interested in was the Josh Green comments because I feel like he was the only, you know, rookie mentioned. Granted, we've we've seen um, we've seen them working out with, you know, Terry and Nate Hennon, but um, I feel like. Josh Green was the only one they mentioned by name. So I'm interested to see what they can do with his development. I still believe in him. I know a lot of people, you know, pass remarks about him. And but at the end of the day, he was always going to be a project. So I'm really excited to see what they can do with him. But yeah, other than that, just a standard company press conference. So is what it is. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of kind of feel the same way um i hate to say it but i know the fan base especially with jason kids past and on and off the court you know wanted some hard-hitting answers and y'all we want you just don't get stuff like that at a press conference uh opening press conference uh pretty much that's not just a Dallas Mavericks Mark Cuban thing that's a that's just a professional sports thing hell that's just a corporate America thing if we're being honest so yeah I mean it it was what it was 
Um, I will say this, like, I, I, I've been off the Jason Kidd hire. I've kind of just accepted it because at the end of the day, he the coach. He ain't going nowhere. Yeah, but I will say, you know, his first little spiel he gave, um, I, I thought he was reading off a teleprompter, but apparently he remembered it off the dome. That's why it felt so scripted. But after he got past that, I think I thought he gave some genuine answers. Like, he seemed relatable. He seemed, um, you know, the answers he gave about, like, what, he need, what did he learn about his first stops? And he kind of basically admitted he thought he knew everything. <laughs> and given some of the stories that have come out, I think that rings true. So if he actually, I don't know, does what he says he's going to do in that press conference, it's a press conference, so who knows? You know, I, I think he might, he has a shot. Um, as far as everything else at that press conference entailed, it, it was what it was, you know, from Scent to Nico to Mark being Mark, it, it was par for the course. I don't think they embarrassed themselves. And I don't think it was like a A plus. So I just take it for what it is and keep it pushing. All right. So uh, next topic, moving on. Um, the NBA Finals. It has wrapped up. It is over. Young Giannis is the uh, is the champion. Um, Giannis yes, and the Bucks. Yes, I am too. Uh, you know, they they popped them boys with the douchebag sweep, hit them with four in a row going away. And uh, I'm not going to hold you. I think we were both wrong on that. And uh, But I, I'll say this. I'm happy to be wrong on that because I like Giannis a lot, a whole lot. Um, I'd probably say, you know, until Kay Cunningham gets to them Pistons, Giannis is probably my favorite non-maverick in the league. So I was happy that he won. Um, it's just wild because I remember last time we did this, we were like, yeah, the sun's going to pop him. I think a large part of that was because we didn't think Giannis would play. And boy, did he play. <laughs> like, he, he, he went off. So um, I know we, I know, think we both picked the Suns. How do you, like, the Suns basically got pop going away. What is your, like, big takeaway? from that series what, what do you think from a you know not to make it totally math centric but the bucks are the champions so if that's our goal how how what's your big takeaway as it pertains to the maps from that or any team that's fine to win a championship that you need to guard to win a title i think that was my like biggest takeaway i feel like like, I picked the Suns to win just because I felt like the Suns were a better team. Um, just because I really didn't believe in Bud's ability, you know, to make adjustments. I I mean, I knew Giannis was a monster, but in my opinion, I think he kicked it to, like, another gear. And Middleton, he actually played, like, a second option in those finals. And Drew Holiday oh, played generational defense mm -hmm. and I think the turning point of the series I, I feel like a lot of people you know have pointed it out was Drew Holiday getting the Chris Paul assignment so he kind of took away 
Chris Paul's offense and a lot of the Suns team like Booker he can create his own shot but the Bucks played the math and at the end of the day they took away the corner threes they pretty much eliminated it in the last you know in the last four games that they won um they took away the pass and to me good defensive teams they have the ability to do that they have the ability to use their defensive schemes and adapt and take away the other team's offense at the end of the day that's how you need to win like yes offense you need to put the ball in the basket but you also have to stop the other team from putting the ball in the basket so I feel like with the Mavs like with or series against the Clippers Kawhi he he did what he did he you know he ate but then at the same time the whole team ate so we had Kawhi eating Paul George when he felt like showing up he did it Terrence Mann was cooking Reggie Jackson was cooking Marcus Morris started to heat up, you know, so we let the entire team cook. Whereas good defensive teams, they're going to make you make you choose. They're going to force you to choose. So the Bucks went with Booker. You can take, you know, because Booker, there's a misconception that he's a good, you know, three-point shooter. It's pretty average. <laughs> like in the playoffs, I think he was at like maybe 32 or in the finals, he was at like 32%. So he's not going to take the threes. He's going to take the mid-range shots. So they let him do that. And they said, well, everyone else, you will be kept in check. So my big takeaway from the finals is defense still wins you championships. Yeah, just to back up your point, you were right. Like, we imagine that Book is, like, this super good shooter. And, like, Buddy shot 34% from three in the regular season. And he was 32% from three in the postseason. So... Yeah, you are a thousand percent right from that aspect. It's like, yeah, you keep shooting the mid-range shots over bigger, a bigger, more aggressive Chris Middleton or even uh, PJ, and we we going we like our odds. Um, yeah, and they destroyed them on the glass. That was another thing. Like, um, the Bucks, like the offensive rebounding numbers were just ridiculous. So, not only were they taking away their threes they weren't they didn't make a lot of their threes but they got a lot of second chance points so yeah 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 it would it really um i guess it, it wasn't the same type of matchup but it kind of felt like Bron when Bron and um and it, when Bron and cleveland beat the warriors back in 16 it's like the Warriors were better, quote unquote, but the the Cavs were just so much fucking bigger and physical when they murdered them on the boards. You know, uh, you got Steph and Clay, so you know you you're not gonna just eliminate good three point shots, but like that's a you know the Warriors were a really good defensive team, but offensively they don't create quote unquote traditional easy buckets. So they, you know, they, the Cavs made them shoot over bigger dudes and this, and just after a while, I think it it just took its toll. And I think that kind of the, the, somewhat of the same thing happened this year, where it's like, CP is good, but he's like 5'11". And Drew Holiday, I mean, like you said, as a generational defense, if you, um, I, you know, I, if you watch pretty much any interview 
that any NBA player has done over the last two, three years, whenever they get asked who the best defender in basketball is, it's almost unanimous is Drew Holiday. Like mm-hmm. folks don't folks don't say Giannis. Folk they actually like lightweight be throwing shots at you know Giannis and uh it's the ones that can't guard yeah. throw shots at Giannis. I've never seen a defensive caliber player throw shots at Giannis about guards. It's the CJ McCollum's of the world. Yeah. Uh, the Isaiah Thomas's of the world yeah. talking about some Giannis not taking the best player on other teams. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they be, they be throwing the shots, and then, they, you know, they be packing up Rudy as well. Like, I think Durant, I mean, he didn't mention him by name, but it's pretty obvious when he said, you know, your defensive player of the year, we trying to, we trying to ISO on him. <laughs> like, that's the game plan, and he's a defensive player of the year. I, pre, I feel pretty confident he was talking about Rudy, because Rudy won it that year. But, yeah, um, and I just think, man, like, Drew – he that but it, dude couldn't throw it in the ocean, but like I, I don't even know how to describe it. But I haven't seen perimeter defense I'm like like the way he just ran through screens without fouling and was getting over them screens. I'm like, man, I ain't. I just I, I don't remember seeing anybody doing that recently, like that. Like he was just getting through them screens, powering through. Like and then don't don't be loose with your dribble in his vicinity. It was his. Yeah, you can't dribble near him. You literally cannot dribble near him. Like he, how many times did he take book and CV3's cookies? Like I was kind of counting, but then it happens so often, and you start losing count. Oh yeah, he's too strong. You can't like size him up, bodying him up. Like he's gonna study your dribbles, and then he's gonna go in and take take it right from you. Yeah, it it. It was just really, really interesting because he truly, like, he was, frankly, uh, objective negative offensively. But yes. he played so well defensively. I don't think they win it. I don't, I don't, I definitely don't think they win it without him. If he was even, like, average defensively or above average, if he wasn't exactly what he was, I don't know if they, if they pull it off. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. I can't disagree with that. He was, like, I like what he said, like, he said at the end of the day, it's not just about me. Like, you know, after they won the title, he said it's about the team. We're, like, a puzzle. Each piece fits. And mm-hmm. I, I would agree with that. Like, he was a brick. Drew Holiday could not put the ball in. He was missing layups. He got a little spooky to the point where, <laughs> oh, really, like, to the point where you're, like, um, I'm, I'm not sure if he's an, NBA player offensively like that's how bad it got but that defense will always keep him on the floor he and I think he had the I know this is not the best stat but still it tells something I think he had the highest plus minus out of anyone in the series so even though he was a brick to me that tells you something yeah that I I didn't even know that that's pretty telling so um it's just you know, I, I guess my big massive takeaway, we uh, we about to, I think we're going to have our first argument later on in this pod, but I think our big takeaway is exactly the same. Like, hey, bro, defense and rebounding, you can kind of beat the more skilled team if your defense and rebounding is just so much better. And I, I will say this, I feel, I think a lot of people is trying to like, backtrack on Aiton because 
Man, I ain't gonna hold you. Giannis demoralized the young man. He he did. He took his he took his heart from him. He did. And, and it was funny, not to cut you off, but it was funny because before the series started, everyone was like, you know, some people are saying that people predicted that Giannis was gonna do this to Aiton, but a lot of Suns fans and even myself to a degree. Um, not all the way like them, but they thought that Aiton, not that he was a Giannis stopper, but they were like, look at the film, you know, from yeah. their regular season matchups that Aiton did a pretty good job, but Giannis shut that down swiftly, swiftly. It, it got nasty. Yeah, it it, it just, he, he just took his heart. You could see him literally with his head down. And this is where, you know, I don't think we've talked about it on the pod, but this is where, like, to me, when we talk about, like, the best player in the league, like, Giannis, you know, he, he has obvious holes in his game, right? Like, you know, he, he can't shoot. And I think because, let, let's let's be very clear, Giannis is a big, Giannis is a four slash five, right? Yeah. And because most of his points, I would say, come off a live dribble, we want to compare him to like your, and he's roughly the same height as Durant to the Durants and LeBrons. But man, Giannis is like a shack. Like he's, it's just different. And what he did from a two-way perspective, I don't think, I know we all happy for him, but if you just like really dig into the numbers and then dig into the high test, like, you know, that was one of the greatest finals performances ever. And, the, and it really was like, and I and the thing I appreciate it. Cause like you, we all, I like Giannis, but I don't think his criticism that he was taking for what he was doing in the playoffs was totally invalid because how I kind of judge all time greats always look at okay did you get better when the playoffs came it's cool to average 30 points and be efficient during the regular season but can you take it up a notch with that same efficiency or get more efficient in the playoffs and man this is i hate to say it if you look at the numbers this is pretty much the first playoff run where he did that across the board and here we are he's the champion and it was cool to see somebody take that leap in real time. Like he he basically like with the little Dirk fade that he added and little stuff like that. It was just like, hey man, I don't. I I want to say like halfway through the third quarter, um, a game six. I'm like, man, they just have no answers for him. There's no, there's yeah, no, yeah. It, it's like, dude, there's just schematically, I don't know what they do. I, I just I don't there's just no good answer and they lose. didn't have the horses you need a you need big physical defenders but even then he's gotten better that we we haven't I think now it'd be interesting to see what new things you know defenses can come up with to you know slow him down you know we saw the wall get created and you can say I think you can say he he beat the wall he he beat yeah. it so I, now we'll see what else they got. Yeah, to to double down on your point, I think this year's Giannis beats Miami because I even look at I look at like you know Giannis he he got assists, but in my opinion Giannis always used to throw those in trouble passes. 
like they would get to the guy but they wouldn't be in the shooting pocket they would be when he's about to travel or they they weren't like they was just in trouble passes and it's like he was making the right pass they there's someone was so ugly but i just feel like he had a he was better with that this year and then that little dirk i, I swear i don't remember him missing the the dirk fadeaway mm-hmm. I, I i just i feel like every time he went to it it went in i i don't know I don't have the numbers behind it, but it just felt like every time he went to it, like that shit was cash. Yeah, I think he was just overall complete this year. Like I, I wasn't keeping track, but throughout the playoffs, like I feel like last year, every every time he was in foul trouble. And that was another reason for Bud not there was a lot, you know, the controversy of, of Bud not playing him, you mm-hmm. know, as much minutes and it's Oh, that he's worried about foul trouble because Giannis used to rack up offensive fouls. I feel like he doesn't get them anymore, and it's not that the refs aren't like calling it. Is he? He stopped like he really kind of stopped the barreling, you know, trying to barrel into the defenders. Like he he got really strategic. So, I I I think the game's slowing down for him, like really really slowing down for him finally now. And I I'm I'll just say good luck. Like the two way dominance that we just saw. Not too many people in the league can replicate it at the end of the day. So yeah, it, it feels like the game slowed down for him. Like yeah. in previous years, everything felt rushed. Um, like you said, he would bear one of the defenders. And you know, this could just be my imagination, but it felt like he basically was gonna try to power through you. Yeah. And if he couldn't power through you, well. <laughs> you know at least he tried yeah at least he tried and what would happen in the playoffs because his playoff uh free throw shooting would always get worse and because you know he he i feel like he would stop going to the hole as aggressively towards the end of games because he's afraid of shooting free throws and there was some small little bit of that in this year's finals but man it wasn't a lot and when it was go time, he was coming at them boys every time, every yeah, single yeah. time. Yeah, it, as well, mm-hmm. he, he went to the hook in crunch yeah. time a lot, and another adjustment Bud made, and I think this this one was probably the biggest in them, you know, winning everything, was Middleton being the closer, and I feel like it was talked about last year, but because Middleton was so inconsistent, you couldn't really trust him with the ball. And I think after he showed, you know, he was an all-star this year, but, you know, he, to me, his numbers, I, I call him Chris Middleton numbers, like, he's going to give you 20, he's going to give you maybe like seven, eight rebounds, he's going to give you about five, six assists, and he's going to be almost or damn near, you know, 50, 40, 90. That's mm-hmm. Chris Middleton. <laughs> Those are his numbers. And I think he was able to show them that, like, he was inconsistent during this run. And I think, inconsistencies is just always going to be a thing with Middleton just because of his play style it, it, it's similar like to Paul George's where they're not gonna go to the hole so it's a lot of jumpers and every night you know it's either your jumpers on or off so you kind of have to at this point know that inconsistencies are going to come with his game but he he showed up he answered the call every time the Bucks were in tight spots it was Middleton. <laughs> Middleton, you know, answered the call. So I think him 
doing that and gaining everyone's trust to become the closer. And Giannis is doing the heavy carrying for, you know, three quarters. Middleton's legs, they're damn near fresh. <laughs> you know, those two minutes come. That's Michael Jordan. You got to have a body on him and make sure that he has no space. But at the same time, they run something that to me is kind of unstoppable. And the Suns did not figure it out. It was the Middleton, Giannis pick and roll. Suns couldn't figure it out the whole series. And that that was pretty much that's current that was the Bucks's like crunch time offense. So yeah. Good stuff from the Bucks. Yeah, I, I uh like when they kept spamming it and it <laughs> it's weird because it seemed like it got more effective the more and more they did it, right? And it's like, you know, just watching, I'm not a coach, but it's like I don't I don't like I said. I don't see how they got any, like, what answers do you have for that? You don't. I think because Giannis took the next step, too, you just don't have an answer for that. Uh, it's just, pray they miss, because he was, man, they was, when they was running into that side pick and roll, with it, Chris is, how tall is Chris, like 6'8", six, 6'9"? Eight, six, he He's 6'8", I think, like 6'8", six, 6'7". Six, uh, he get to that mid-range, and it's like, man, bro, that's a layup, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that tough of a shot. And then, because you're running it with Giannis and you got Giannis either available to get the pass or the lob or destroy you on the offensive boards, it's like, man, that, that's just hell. That's hell. That's a, I don't know how you, unless you got the horses, I just don't see how you they could have solved that. And I think something that gets kind of ignored about Phoenix, as good as Aiden is, any good defensive center needs a solid backup center for when you oh, get in yeah. foul trouble. And I mean, I know Dario Sarge got hurt, but if we keep it in 100, it's kind of amazing they got as far as they did with Dario Sarge as the backup five. Yeah, I think that was their weakness all year. I think if you yeah. ask anyone and you ask them what what's the Suns' weakness, they always said that backup center spot. And I think that's probably why, in part, they had drafted Jalen Smith. Yeah. Um. So, like, I know people, and at the end of the day, objectively, it was not a good pick. It was a reach, but mm. I get their process behind it. Um, they were hoping, I mean, he's he's a project, so I, I don't know if he'll be ready next year. I mean, they'll have to try it because if they bring back Chris Ball, they're not, and they have to give out extensions galore. I don't think they're going to have, you know, money to go expensive on a backup center, so... They just got to trust in their development system with Jalen Smith in that case. I I, th- I think he can be a good, you know, rotational big. He's not going to be a star, but he's going to be a, a good rotation big. Yeah, and I, I think even, like, <laughs> like even Willie Colley-Stein would have helped them dramatically. Like, oh, yeah. it, was, it was that bad. Like, I, I think they'll, even if Jalen don't develop, they'll be fine. They just maybe they just thought he'd get better faster to maybe yeah. play that 10 to 15 minutes but they to me they probably should have got some better than Dario Sarge and Frank Kamenetsky at the trade deadline but who knows hell maybe we can opting maybe they'll give us some good uh for an opting in Willie who knows I just think that market for like solid vet backup center to play 10 to 15 minutes a night that's a cheap option that that's plentiful in the marketplace so cheap yeah Yeah. so i I think they'll be able to fill that just fine so 
Um, wrapping up the finals, I guess, wrapping up the NBA season as a whole. Shout out to the Bucks. Shout out to Giannis. I, I ain't gonna hold you. I was happy. I, I I was so happy that they won. Like I haven't been that happy about a non-Maverick team winning anything yeah. since I can remember it. it, it good stuff. All right, so moving on, we're going to get the next topic. We're going to do, I guess, a free agent profile. Um, I don't know if it was Wednesday or Tuesday, but young Shams, Shams Sarania, uh, basically reported that the Mavs are one of the expected suitors for Rashawn Holmes. So I'm going to let you lead with this, ma'am. How do you feel about Rashawn Holmes as a potential Dallas Maverick? Rashawn Holmes. So I feel like I've galaxy brained all of these um, free agents. Like everything is so conditional. Like obviously there are very few guys who are like the perfect, you know, free agent. Other than if, you know, if Kawhi is coming here, that that'll be fine. Even then he's not perfect. You know, he's coming off an injury. But um, for Sean Holmes, I like him as an just as an overall player. I think I think he's good. He's a good solid player. Like he's he's not gonna be an all star. And I know he wants to be a defensive player of the year, but I don't know if he can get there. But he's a good solid starting center. But at the same time, we have a starting center on the maps. And at the end of the day, I. I'm not a fan of two big lineups and Rashawn Holmes. He's at the stage. I would assume he'd, he'd like to start. So he's not going to come here, especially to the Mavs and take a backup, you know, role. So it'd be Porzingis and Holmes in the front court. And I am not sure, not just fit wise, because I don't think, I think it's not necessarily about fit. I think they'd fit okay. Like, I, I don't think it'd be disastrous. However, Holmes is probably going to command. I don't think he's going to go for 20 plus million or anything like that. It's not going to be like that, but he's still going to command a cute coin. And if you're investing so much money into the front court of two guys that cannot create their own shot, Holmes is not that kind of offensive center. Like he has that push shot that he never misses. But other than that, he's not like backing down, you know, a plethora of post moves. Like that's that's not his game. He's a lob threat. He'll, you know, hit that hook shot. He's a good, you know, rim runner, all that. So and his defense. Here's how I feel about his defense. I I think people expecting him to come to the Mavs and be a difference maker. I think people should eliminate that expectation because at the end of the day, as much as he is a good defensive center, he was still the anchor of, I believe it was the worst defense of all time. <laughs> the Kings, they had the worst defensive rating of all time this past season. And at the end of the day, he was the guy in the middle. So I'm, it wasn't his fault, obviously. Their perimeter defenders suck, but hey, so does the ones on the maps. <laughs> so I don't think people should be expecting him to save the defense, but obviously he can help. With that being said, if they're moving Porzingis, I am 100% for it. If not, I would need... I, I'm not saying a hard no, but I would 
definitely, especially for this acquisition, I would definitely have to see what other moves they'd make to make me feel better. Like, if you're getting homes, you 100% need another ball handler as well. Not retaining Tim Hardaway Jr. He doesn't count. <laughs> I'm talking about, I, I don't care where they come from, but you, you have to have another ball handler in the starting lineup, not off the bench. So, yeah, Holmes, very conditional. Gotcha. Um, look, we, We've joked about this for a while, but, yeah, I, I'm going to disagree with you. My, I am pro-Holmes under all conditions for multiple reasons. My first reason is I think we need what he brings to the team. And while I do agree that, um, you know, it's not optimal, right? Uh, I made a, <laughs> I made a tweet, uh, it might even been last night about how the last three NBA champions, and actually, if you even, basically every team that's won a championship in the last six years that isn't the Warriors, and I, I just stopped looking before that. It might even go back further than that. Has started two traditional bigs, including the last three. Now, full disclosure, I was kind of just trying to spark engagement with that because Anthony Davis, Giannis, and even like Pascal Siakam, those ain't quote unquote traditional bigs, right? Like them dudes are superior athletes. Uh, Spicy P is is mid as he is at time like the dude can move his feet right yeah. he, he can so those three dudes are dudes that objectively are better athletes than kp or uh uh kp or rashawn holmes the reason why i'm still pro rashawn holmes even with all that being said is look man we can't be in a position where we depended on kp to be a center and in my opinion, adding Rashawn Holmes, even if it's, I think he's going to end up getting like, I'm going to say 13 to 16 million a year. And I think it's going to be the full four year joint. Like I, he's getting max, the max years. And I think it's going to be between 13 to 16 for that, for that ticket. And to me, with KP's injury history, even if the shit works swimmingly, even if it, they, the Mavs somehow revolutionized bringing back two traditional bigs and they just pounding dudes, you no, know, uh, pounding dudes on the boards. Like, it, it, it's still, KP is so injury prone and he's not going to play back to backs. I think if, like, at where we at as a team, like, we need to be a top four to, we need to be a top four seed in my opinion. And I think Rashawn Holmes pretty much guarantees that no matter what the hell KP got going on. And in my opinion, it's either, it's only as far as, then you, you listen to like what Jason Kidd has been saying. Now, I think this is total fluff in my opinion, but if it's not fluff, they don't basically try to have KP like doing the stuff he was doing in New York. I cringe at that because like what did that get you you know what i'm saying like I mean, what was he really doing in new york like i i, I okay go go ahead go ahead no 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 i want it because we i feel like we agree with like i keep hearing oh we did the mavericks need new york 
Chris Brzezinski. What the hell was he doing that was so special in New York? Like, I feel like because it was the Knicks, the idea of what KP was actually doing, like he had an amazing 10-game start to the season, but that's about it, fam. We need New York KP's defense. Uh, everyone's talking about offense, and that's why I really am not for the two big lineup in our case. Like, like you mentioned, the teams that you said and the players on those teams that won titles with two bigs, the end, the position that's tricky is not necessarily the center position. It's that power forward position. Anthony Davis, Giannis, Pascal Siakam. Like, these guys, they're like, I mean, not really Siakam, but like, these guys are like unicorn guys. And KP, like, yes, he was the epitome of that nickname. He He's not that anymore, at least on defense. And I think that's where that's where the difference really lies. Not necessarily their offense, which, by the way, those guys that I just mentioned are way better shot creators than Porzingis. So you can actually run offense through them, those guys, consistently and not have it, you know, bogged down. Um, but their defense, they are, they're defensive-minded guys. And Porzingis, he's just – I I need to see it. I need to see him, you know, back to those – you know, New York KP defense. Other than that, I don't trust that his defense, you know, his mobility will be back. So you can just cross off him, you know, consistently playing power forward, him and Holmes. In the regular season, it might work. It'll be, it'll probably be fine during the regular season. But in the playoffs, when teams are scheming <laughs> that lineup, one of the two bigs, I'm not going to name any names, but one of the two bigs will be hunted off the floor <laughs> in the playoffs. That's, that's, I that that's what would happen. Any good team is playing one of them off the floor and throwing the whole game plan, you know, awry. So I I just think we're not at the def, we don't have the we have to think about both sides of the ball. And I don't think Porzingis at power forward. I really don't think that's the move anymore. And I don't think he wants that either, if we're being honest. Because, I mean, and this, all this talk, like, it's hard to talk about, you know, these things, you know, especially what the offense is going to look like, because, you know, we have a new coaching staff. And at the end of the day, kid, we don't know what he's going to come in here and do. <laughs> like, we we assume that the, the Mavs probably aren't going to play the same way that they've been playing. And we don't know what that's going to look like, so... I can't say for sure that if he's playing power forward, he'll be standing in the corner. But generally, if he's playing with another big man and if Luca's running his, it's, it's more than likely going to be a 1-5 pick and roll. So Luca is going to, especially Rashawn Holmes, who doesn't stretch the floor, he's going to be running pick and roll with Luca. And Porzingis, what is he going to do? Be in the dunker spot? This is not Philly. <laughs> We're not Philly with Ben Simmons chilling in Dunker spot. Like he's nah, gonna KPI you know, is gonna be standing at the three point line. Pump. Exactly. Yeah. And he doesn't want to play like that. So we, I, I just think, yes, I, I just think it's it, it fixes some problems, but it, it'll create more. And I don't think the problems, like it would fix, would outweigh. The problems it would create. That that that's my opinion on that. My retort 
to that is who gives a shit how Christos Przingis feels anymore? Like that, that ship has sailed, in my opinion. I don't think any decision made, a uh, long-term decision that involves this roster should be made with substantial concern for how Christos Przingis fits or feels about it. I think he he's- a choice. <laughs> you don't really have a choice. Yeah, high maintenance by nature. He like he is high maintenance by nature. I don't think you have a choice. I, I, this That's is a my... seven three elephant. That's a seven three elephant in the room. Man, <laughs> I, I, unless unless Buddy is gonna basically shut himself down and not take the money, I I, I don't I I just don't I I don't think he has the profile. I don't think if Christos Przingis gets angry with the Dallas Mavericks, I don't think it's like jeopardizing anything. Like, I hate to say this and, and like, I don't think, I think Rick, <laughs> I do think how KP was used in the playoffs was like pretty much the only realistic way you could use him. Yes. With that being said, I do think there could have been like a few plays drawn up to appease his ego. And I think Rick and Luca were so done with his ass. They didn't even do that. And I think that's just the attitude you got to have with him moving forward. Like, bro, you, you got the money. Um, we can't trade you anyway. So I don't know. Um, I, I'm just not, that's where I'm at with KP and with his injury history, even if, like you said, this works swimmingly in the regular season, KP's not still not going to play back-to-backs. There's going to be plenty of nights where Rashawn Holmes is playing 35 minutes a night as, like, the only center. And and when those lineups are killing, there's going to be some <laughs> uncomfortable conversations going on. But my point is those – that's going – that's that's where we have with Chris Alves no matter who's on the goddamn team. You see what I'm saying? Like, my, my thing is, like, say we magically – you could just drop Pascal Siakam on this team, right? KP's not a good enough rim def- rim protector to even take advantage of having Pascal Siakam as a four that can move his feet. Does that make sense? I, I see. Like, that's, that's the thing. If his rim protection didn't decline so rapidly, like, it it'd be a different story. Like, not only can't, like, can he not move his feet, but he, he's not even blocking shots no more. So, I, I, like I said, I need to see it with my eyes, see him do, you know, move his feet or, you know, block shots again for me to believe that he can get back to that place and, you know, possibly sustain it. But these, talking about these big lineups, like, I think the NBA is in a state where I think a lot of these, we say it's positionless basketball, but I think a lot of it is just guys with identity crisis. And I think the center position is going through, it's it's going through it. There's a lot of guys that I think what it means to be a center, it's, it's changing, especially with the, you know, small ball throwing, you know, everything upside down. I think it's changing. And I think there are a lot of people with, there are a lot of identity crisis issues going on. I, I There was a report 
thing came out maybe yesterday. It was like Steven Adams. He's going to start <laughs> shooting threes because he wants his career to be extended. And you think, you think about it, you're like, who told Steven Adams th- to shoot threes? Like, really? Like, who looked at Steven Adams <laughs> and said, you need to shoot threes? And I know a lot was made about the spacing next to Zion. But it's not, the solution isn't for Steven Adams to become Steph Curry. Steven Adams, Steven Adams has to go. Like, he, he can't be on the team anymore. Because he shot 44% from the free throw line. You're coming me. <laughs> he's gonna come back next year shooting threes your spacing issues won't go away who is gonna be up on steven adams at the three-point line which defender which defender in the league would do that and if they do that they should not be in the league <laughs> why are you like to me i think center is they're going through it steven adams doesn't need a three-point shot steven adams needs a proper post game like yeah you're probably not gonna you know, your vertical is not going to grow. Your athleticism, you're not going to gain athleticism overnight to be a, you know, crazy lob threat. But you can work on your post game. <laughs> that's something that's more, you know, realistic. And I think center is the post game is dead. And I understand, like, there are very few good post players left in the league. But at the same time, with a lot of these switching defenses and just mismatches all the time, you need to learn how to attack a mismatch. And sometimes, like, certain, just because you're taller than the defender doesn't mean that's a mismatch. Like, for example, like, all throughout the Clippers series um, against the Mavericks, you know, like a Kawhi Leonard on Porzingis, that's not a mismatch. <laughs> like, even though Kawhi is just 6'7 and Porzingis 7'3, that's not a mismatch. It would be a mismatch if Porzingis was known to be a threat to shoot over smaller defenders consistently or even you know post his way you know to the bucket but um yeah I think I think there's 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 a crisis going on like centers need to understand it's it's, there's everything is not about shooting threes develop that post game develop that mid-range game even work on like passing out of double teams you know if you eventually become more adept at shooting over those mismatches and working those mismatches, you're going to command double teams. And that generates offense where you can kick out, you know, pass it to the open man. So I think, I, I think centers, they, you know, back in 19, you know, 80s, 1970s, this was a big man's league. Even in the early 2000s, it was still a big man's league. And the guards kind of cater to the big guy. You know, you're going to dump your ball, dump the ball to the post, give it to your big guy. He's going to get a bucket or get fouled and go to the line. That was usually typically how you wanted to play. Now it's a guard wing league. So to me, the centers have to accommodate the guards. So you got to screen to get your guard open. Like if I'm sorry, I'm, I feel like, People are going to think we're picking on Porzingis. <laughs> and I keep bringing him up because obviously he's the center on my team. So he's my reference point. When was the last time Porzingis got called for a moving screen? Can you remember? He doesn't really get called for moving screens, right? No. Right? No. You would think that's a good thing because moving screens are turnovers. And sure. But to me, a moving screen means my center is trying to get you know, the guard open. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Um, unless you're getting called for, you know, repeatedly, that means you really can't screen. But every once in a while, I would like my center to get called for a moving screen. 
that shows me i'm sorry that shows me he's working hard to get the guard open and i know we make fun of gobert and utah because they were trying to make screen assists you know an actual stat and i know we make fun of it but it's very useful like he's he's getting mitchell these great looks he's getting these perimeter guys like these great looks like little things like that i feel like the centers they're not interested in doing that anymore like not everything is about threes you know work to get your guards open work to you know do the little things like box out your guy like no one boxes out no more i, th- I think centers need to get back <laughs> to, to they they need to have a long hard look and realize that you know hey maybe i can't be you know deandre aiden but i can do little things to have to make me useful and extend my career not shooting threes so yeah sorry for that rant but no, no, no. It, it wasn't rad. It was real talk. And just to kind of bolster your point, um, with Stephen Adams trying to add a three-point shot, um, yeah, I know Brooke Lopez literally started doing it when he was like 29, 30. But just to emphasize what you're saying, Brooke Lopez was a very skilled player who shot yeah. like 80% from the free throw line. Like he has touch. He, he always yeah. has had touch. So it's not like ridiculous to me to believe. And if we're keeping it real, he really only was wet like one year. Just Oh, yeah. If, if we, if we being yeah, honest. A couple he, years ago. Yeah, yeah, like he really was only quote unquote, even a, uh, I guess above average. He be shooting them bitches like he, it's, it's, it's going in. But he don't, you know he's not even that effective at it and he's a lot yeah, he's more below skilled. average he's below average yeah. yeah but he's still a lot more skilled the skill profile is there to even be slightly below average and have a year of being above average mm-hmm. like you said Stephen Adams is just a brute you know what I mean he's a Stephen Adams would be real good 20 years ago mm-hmm. but he, he he's just not that he's just not that I, I don't I gotta be honest with you, Jay. I don't think Stephen Adams deserves twenty minutes on any team in the modern NBA anymore. I just think that ship has sailed. That ship has sailed. Um, he, the way I saw him getting picked on that last year in OKC, it's like, hey, bro, you, you this, I, this league ain't for you. Like, man, David Griffin should be arrested for how you trade Drew Holiday, take back. Uh, uh, Eric Bledsoe, Stephen Adams, and then extend Stephen Adams. Like that's just those; those are fireball offenses. Like, and I think he's going to get fired. I really do, unless he pulls a rabbit out of his behind. I think David Griffin is packed up by uh, the middle of this year because unless unless they get a stretch big, I don't see that a stretch big that can play defense. The I thing is, I don't even think they necessarily need like a stretch. It doesn't even have to be a stretch big. I think even if it was, if it were to be a lob threat that could defend, yeah, I, I think that wouldn't even be too bad. Because if if I'm not mistaken, the 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 Zion Jackson Hayes lineups they weren't bad. They weren't bad. If I'm not mistaken, no, no, you were actually right. I was trying to do some research about like lineups. Uh, defensive efficiency with Rashawn Holmes and like Jackson Hayes was surprisingly like a positive advanced stats defensive player. 
Yeah. Like it was actually shocking. (laughs) Yeah, I think what people like that's another thing, like interior defense. Like a lot of these centers, like to me, like the paint is your house. Like you're like that's that's your, you know, you, you need to guard the paint. And a lot of these interior defenders, they don't care which bum is walking by them going to the rim. That that's how I feel about KP. That's why I really lost faith, like but like bums bro like scrubs were walking by him you know to get a layup and like Steven Adams he he's not a I think there was this misconception that he was a good interior defender just because he's physical and he boxes out but Steven Adams don't guard a damn thing in the paint so these centers they need to at, at the very least even if you're not protecting the rim at a like you know crazy high level you need to be, you know, contesting shots and making sure that no one's walking by you, you know, in in the paint. And I understand that it's a team game, you know, it's team defense and your perimeter defenders, like if everyone's walking by them, you know, it makes your job harder. But at the end of the day, you're still the most, you know, as a center, you're the most important piece of the def- defensive puzzle. So I think next to, you know, a guy like Zion, you know, he's not the best defender, um, I think they definitely need an interior defend defensive presence because I I think Zion is he's he's not like they play him like a wing you know point guard kind of but he he's a big you know especially on the defensive end you, you probably can't you know play him at small forward for long stretches and get away with it you know yeah. I don't think you can do that so I think Zion's future in this league is that Giannis. Like when, yeah, when Zion wins a championship, it's going to be as a four that can do a little bit of moonlighting as a uh, five. Maybe that's your closing lineup with Zion at the five. And he, I mean, honestly, Zion's one of the worst defensive players given his athletic profile. And I know most young players are like, bad defensive players but he's bad like it's actually I don't I don't because I don't remember him being that bad at Duke I think it's awareness for him I I still think like I think on the defensive end it moves the game moves too fast for him yeah because like and keeping it real uh DeAndre Aiden Aiden was a horrible Aiden was probably just as bad his first two years and he basically turned into a two-way monster until he ran into freaking Giannis. And I'm not begrudging him from that. I don't think there's anybody alive that I don't, I just don't think anybody was stopping Giannis. So I'm not going to knock him for that. And I I think Zion needs to take that next step. And it's super ironic that we're talking about this because Chris Paul basically bullied his ass into becoming a good defensive player. And like, I guess the Pelicans is about to go all out for uh, Kyle Lowry to essentially do the same thing. To I would be so upset if they get Kyle Lowry. I, 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 I'll say this. If he wants to go there when he had the option to come here, I will be like, what? Like, fam, you give me Kyle Lowry and, like, Bobby Portis and Dragic, and those things are all plausible under what the resources we got. And I ain't saying that's a championship team, but that's a team that can make the West Conference Finals, or who knows, maybe somebody get hurt. You never know, right? Yeah. I don't see any f- 
framework under which the Pelicans are going that far. There's no best case scenario where I think they can be that good that fast. No, and I I did see a report where I that's another thing. Like I feel like obviously we're not tapped in into you know front offices, so we don't know what's being discussed. But I feel like if you're approaching an off season, and obviously this is me clearly telling these professionals how to do their jobs, but um. If you're going into an offseason, I think you need to identify what the direction of your team is because there there are a lot of conflicting reports, you know, surrounding the Pelicans. Like, obviously, you know, the Zion reports came out that he wasn't okay with, you know, just losing. And you think that, you know, the Pelicans would, you know, try to turn up the urgency just at least a little bit. And they did say that they wanted to, you know, put more pieces that fit by the same time. They're also talking about, you know, starting their starting backcourt being Nikhil Alexander Walker and Kira Lewis Jr. And to me, that's that's contradictory. You can't say you want to win and that's your starting backcourt. No offense to those guys, but they're they're like second year, third year players. You can't expect them. You know, you can't put them in a backcourt and say, yeah, you hold down the ball handling, you know, duties. And I, I don't think that's going to work out like that. You need to give those guys time. And I get it. You're a young team. They're a very young team. But they just need to pick a direction and stick in it. Middling the ground, we've yet to see it work. We've un, Unless you're like a Kawhi Leonard on the Spurs. But we've yet to see. Like, I mean, the Suns technically kind of did it with Chris Paul. But they still didn't win the chip. So I think middling the ground is it's risky very risky because you run a huge risk of being stuck you know in purgatory where you're not good enough to really be a threat to anything but you're also not bad so you're not gonna you know keep adding high-end talent via the draft you know to your team and you're probably capped out (laughs) so it's you know like it's 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 a risk so I, I think they gotta stick with it either hey you tell zion hey be patient (laughs) we're trying let's you know work through it you know focus on internal development or you tell him hey you're right fine we'll push all our chips so i think they got decisions to make just like the mavs yeah i uh i wouldn't be totally shocked if they go ahead even if it's not um laurie they just throw a bag at a creator slash veteran because they, they need that. And something else I think, like something we need to get into, you do need vets that have been there before. Yes. Um, I don't care how talented you are. I think it's, you You really have to have a, like an abundance of talent to be a young team that's never won anything or been deep in the playoffs to actually make progress and I think the Mavs need that I think the Mavs need that bad frankly and I'll even say the Pelicans are in dire need of that as well we we need a Lucas the franchise you know he's the quote-unquote leader I mean that's a that's a that's hard to ask a dude to be that at 22 and not have any vet that's good to be able to like back them up you know what i mean yeah i know what you mean like 
you even look at other young players that won championships, even if they were the best player, there was a vet that was usually the second best player, right? I think... Um, That's also why I really want Lowry. I know you keep saying Lowry, and I hate to admit this, like, I'm so... Lowry would fit so perfectly that I just don't believe it. Oh, fam, I believe we'll get Kawhi before we get Kyle Lowry. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I, maybe just I've been uh, traumatized by free agency. But you get Kyle Lowry on this team because, A, I like Kyle Lowry because, because of his age. He can't sign a, a contract longer than three years. Yes. So even if you give him the most money, it's like even if he's trashed that last year, it's not like a, a super toxic uh, asset. Like Kyle Lowry put up 37 and 11 like six, eight weeks ago. I just don't believe that man is about to be washed yeah, in the next two years. Down. Yeah, and the, the thing that was tripping me out, I was watching, you know, trying to get caught up on free agents. I'm like, damn, Kyle Lowry is old and he like a big dude. Man, that dude is still quick. Like, still, right now, like like I said, he put up 37-11 eight weeks ago, and that was against the Lakers when they was, with they season on the line, and they had no he answers for him. Yeah, number one defensive team in the league, and he was murdering them. Like, and it was just tripping me out, because Kyle can't really... I don't think Kyle was consistently beating anybody off the dribble no more, but he did that game. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. Like, it's like even having the ability to cook like that at his age, as recently as last year, I don't think he's falling off a cliff in the next two years, maybe three, but that's the longest. So, okay, he's a bad contract year three. Okay, he's expiring. You trade him or should he retire? So I, I don't. Kyle Lowry is that that's that's my number one because I think that changes everything. He and he still plays defense. Exactly. I think he he is the free agent that if like you're not gonna get one guy that fixes everything the Mav needs to have them compete, you know, as soon as next season. I think and with you know money situation, just free agency, just the landscape of it all, I don't think you know we're gonna be in a position at the end of, you know, the off season to compete, you know, as soon as next season. But if I were to pick one guy that at least hits a lot of the boxes and can at least, you know, play a role as like a stopgap in terms of what we need, it, it, it's Kyle Lowry. He, he is going to be that secondary playmaker. He is going to play, you know, defense. So it's not like you're putting another – bad defender in the backcourt with Luka. Yeah. He's going to play defense. He, he can put pressure on the rim, you know. I think that's something that we've been lacking too. Other than Luka, you're not worried about anybody else going to the rim. So that's that's another guy that can, you know, initiate penetration. And I, I just think, yeah, he just fits. And he can run with bench units. So it's not just all Brunson, you know, um, just having all the creation load on him for bench units. I, I mean, he can handle it, but in terms of setting others up on the bench, he, he can run with Kyle Lowry. So, and he'll learn a lot from Lowry. I think Brunson, Lowry as a mentor for Brunson, I think that'd be great. Yeah. So, especially with, uh, 
you know, people always you bring up Fred Van Fleet as a cop for Brunson, and I think they time together and just hell. I don't think people realize like Kyle was getting passed around the league till he was damn near thirty. Yeah. Well, no, he was thirty actually. Till he got to Toronto, and I think eh, it was about yeah, it was about twenty nine. His age twenty nine year, like he was just getting passed around the league, and he was going to the Hall of Fame now. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, he he's he's just perfect. I mean, I I doubt the Mavs are like. It seems to me like even at the deadline, it looks like money is his like main priority. Like, I I don't think. I mean, he has a ring, so I think he w- still wants to win again. But I don't think the rings like you know number one. He has to have a you know yeah. ring before he retires. I think he he at the deadline too. He was saying that whatever team he gets traded to, they have to understand he, he wants his bag. So I think. Yeah. I think I don't like I, I don't think the Mavs are like number one on his list, obviously. But I think if they if they sweeten the pot and if they if they don't shortchange him, they can have a good shot because I mean Miami they're gonna have to um they would have to decline all their options on their guys if they wanted to sign Larry outright. Um, who else? That's Philly. They they'd have to do a lot of cap gymnastics to get Larry on the team in Philly and who else are other competitions Lakers they they want everybody that everybody in the league who wants the Lakers salary cap doesn't exist to to Lakers fans so I don't know I think we have a good shot I'm not I'm not betting on it still a little bit of a pipe dream but I do think we have a a decent shot if if they prioritize him yeah I, I think to me like because here's the other thing. I think every single major free agent um, this that, that switches teams, like all the top five dudes, uh, all the dudes is getting like 20 to 30 million. I think they all are going to be signed and traded. I don't think anybody's just leaving scot-free, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think we're going to end up with Spencer Spence the reason why I think we're going to end up with Spence is I think he's going to want to come here. I think we got minutes for him. And the other thing is just from a, I, I think the, the, uh, like, I think the Nets would be happy to like take a sign and trade it. JJ Reddick and Josh Richardson for Spence. Like, I think they'd be like, Oh, cool. I take that. And so. what'd you say? I don't think that's a horrible package. They could get like I know you still have to get something, or you know the guy can leave. But AJ Reddick and Josh Richardson. Ooh, I don't think Josh. Re- this is what I'm about. Can to- AJ Reddick even play? Is he even clear to play? This is just my opinion. This is no inside sports. I don't know. I ain't got no sources. They're going to want Dorian Finney-Smith or some shit. Like, we're going to have to get, come up off of, if we're getting Dinwiddie in a sign-and-trade, we're going to have to come up off of one of Maxi or Finney-Smith. I just think that you're going to play. I, I mean, I, I'm just going to keep it real with you. If we have a Bobby Portis or Rashawn Holmes in a separate deal, yeah, I, I'll do. I'll do Josh Richardson and Maxi. For spends, I would. Uh, I, I, but I, I just think, dude, have you looked at their roster? 
like for next year, dudes, they got under contract and they have no way of adding professional basketball players except for dudes who get bought out, dudes who want to play for the minimum. Like, I, I hate to say this, but like Josh Richardson literally, if Spence is leaving, and I know Josh was bad this year, but I don't know if Josh wouldn't be like their fourth or fifth best player. I, I seriously don't. Um, I mean, at this at the end of the day, like, I mean, he can't shoot, so he he'll be like he provide a lot of defensive, you know, relief to that team. Yeah, but... they, they they need a wing. They need someone who can guard, like those, because you know Kyrie ain't guard nobody, and you know James Harden ain't guard nobody. And then you know them boys is gonna load manage. So as long as he's on the court with two of them, I think Josh will fit. This is this is just I mean, my opinion. Whatever that will get him off the team. I'm I'm not <laughs> interested. Listen, we have a lot of rehab projects <laughs> currently. <laughs> so we gotta we gotta prioritize the big fish, the one that's getting 30 million. So he he's gonna his rehab, you know, rehabilitation process is gonna have to get prioritized and I'm sorry, Josh Richardson. I'm tired of these guys coming to Dallas to have redemption seasons. I'm I'm sick of it. <laughs> like these redemption arcs. Like, right. I just want him to go. You go have your redemption arc elsewhere. But that's but I get it. I get it. And I know. Let me let me reshape this. Anybody that's following me on Twitter. I hated the Josh Richardson trade when it happened. I feel like I was on my own island by myself. I'm like, bro, Seth Curry's better than him. Josh Richardson pretty much couldn't shoot on why he was open a lot in Philly. So when people was like, well, look, it's gonna, the space is going to be so much better. I'm like, hey, dog, his shots is wide open in Philly. He still wasn't making them shits. I say all that to say, I just don't think Josh... Like, dog, we basically asked Josh Richardson to be, like, the third best player on our team, right? That He's not good at that. But being, like, the sixth man I, on a championship team, I think he could do that. And I think a team like Brooklyn, like, dude, I, I – this is why I thought Josh was going to opt out. Is it because I look around the league and, like, Monte Morris is better than Josh? And he opted out of, like, $15 million? Is he that much better than Josh? Is he? Who, Monte Morris? Yes. Monte Morris is significantly better than Josh Richardson. Monte wow. Morris can run an offense. Monte, have you seen his assist to turnover ratio? Put some respect on Monte Morris's name. He's one of the, he's in the class of backup point guards. He's in the, it's, it's him, Brunson, and I want to say T.J. McConnell. Like the, those are like the upper echelon of backup point guards. Josh Richardson, like, and I'm if I'm comparing comparing players like that, I'm not even just compla- comparing them like side by side. Like I'm thinking about them in their role. Like how are they doing? And for Monte Morris's role and Josh Richardson's role, it's 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 not close. It's not close. And I hear what you say about him potentially being, you know, a six man. And I get it. But when you look back at his most, you know, productive season, you know, he was a starter, but the team that he was starting on and, you know, he was really involved in their offense. The team wasn't that good. And I think that's what people don't really realize 
like and you see it too when they say oh yeah Porzingis needs um more shot attempts and needs to go back to New York offense and the things they were doing weren't it, it was okay for maybe them individually but you weren't seeing team success from it that's why when people said oh Tim Tim Hardaway Jr. should have handled the ball more I'm like why he wasn't that good at it when he had to do it more so why would you put him back in that position to do so so for yeah for Josh Richardson like you said you know probably a six-man role would be you know beneficial to him but as long as it's not here I and I I don't know he might opt in he his agent you know they all have the same agent what right yeah and he wanted to come here so maybe with kid they're talking him into like hey we can fix you or you'll be you different I don't know I don't know what the conversations are but I did not like I did not like the Josh Richardson experience and I would not to I would not like to experience it again. <laughs> That's just me. Oh, family. It, it he can't be here next year. Let me let me let me be very clear with that. But I do think his value in other situations other than here. I think either the team that takes him on if he opts in or if he opts out and signs a, a long-term deal. I do, and I, let me be clear. I didn't want. I didn't want Josh here. I wanted Seth Curry. I wanted to keep Seth. With all that being said, I don't think Josh is. I don't think he's a, a dumpster fire of a player. I don't think this dude is Trey Burke. I don't. I think he's about a seven to eight million dollar a year player, and I don't. You know, as a as a. Uh, a, a solid defensive guard, you know, who can, I, I hate to say it, but I think if he had, yeah, I'm not even about to cap. He's a six man. I can't think of any scenario in which he's starting on the championship team, even the Nets. Nah, I really can't. I can see him doing it here and there, but I just don't think Josh Richardson is as bad as we make him out to be. That's all I, that's, that's my larger point. And I, if he opts in, I think the team that takes him on is going to be a good team. Like, I think he'll be playing rotation minutes for a really good team next year, one way or another. Um, and I also think if he opts out, I think a good team is going to give him a mid-level. Uh, it might not be for the full four or five years, but I think he'll get two, three years out of a good team. Uh, that's just my take. Is, uh, this is... I see. Um, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's safe to the internet. So if I'm wrong, folks can laugh at me. But I don't, I, I won't be shocked if Josh, if people is you, is pulling the Seth Curry bullshit they pulled where Josh is playing well somewhere and they trying to duck on us. It won't yeah. shock me. I mean, yeah, but I mean, it is, I mean, I fully expect him. Well, I, I don't know, but. I mean, all reports are indicating that he might opt in, but if he opt out, like you said, I think I think he might do a shorter deal, just because he's not old old yet. I think he's like twenty eight, so he might do a shorter deal to still be in his prime, to you know, hopefully show that he can you know do some things to get more money in the future. But I don't know if he opts in. I think he's gonna. This is a bold prediction, but I think he's gonna be a centerpiece of a. Of a big trade for us. I think 
we need to do a big trade at the end of the day we need to do a big something <laughs> trade free agency we need to do a big something we tried the continue you know continuity approach last year it didn't work so you can't run back a mid-team three years in a row that's lunacy <laughs> that's just <laughs> lunacy so i i want something big i want someone big this is this is where i think we uh okay okay how do you define big so like for me let me give you my definition of big right this is how I think this is this offseason is going to play out. I think Tim is coming back. Um, I saw the Stein basically say they want to keep Tim and then they want to do a sign and trade to get the other pieces. Yeah. So Mark Stein is Teflon when it comes to the Mavs. Like Buddy probably got that from Mark Cuban's mouth directly. No bullshit, no exaggeration. Mark Cuban probably texted him that. So I look at that and I say, okay, so I think Tim is getting 20. Now, Tim's cap hold, I think, is damn near like 28, 30 million. I think what they're going to do is try to operate as an over-the-cap team. They're going to come to an agreement with Tim to where it's like, we leave your cap hold on the books, but fam, you really only getting like 18 to 20. And I think they're going to give the full joint. I think they're going to give Tim 18 to 20 over four years. I think they're going to, this is his last bag. He's a Mark Cuban guy. They've been putting them all in the social media posts, even though he's a damn free agent. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. But he's coming back, man. He he's he's coming back. So I think Tim is coming back. I think they're gonna use I, if I think Josh is gonna opt in and they're gonna bundle him with either Maxi or hell, there's speculation that Dwight Powell has trade value. Okay. Yeah, skyrocketed i think around the deadline they did were interested in him but it wasn't like crazy interest but i think he upped his value a little bit i think it gets up nice for um powell and richardson yeah so you take powell and richardson you send that to either you send that to whatever team has an album you send that to brooklyn for spence so you run it back with spence uh Tim, and then I think they're going to use because we were operating as an over-the-cap team, right? Um, then you got the full MLE, and I think that's going to a big. Yeah. I, I, I have, that's going to, and I think they're going to spend the whole shebang on a big. Um, I think it's going to be like, uh, you know, I, I, I think I changed my my username to it on Twitter. I'm, I'm all in on Bobby Portis. I am um, I just, the boy can shoot, he's tough, he's not as good defensively as people think he is, he's actually, I don't even know if he's good defensively. I mean, he, 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 can, he can move his feet to a degree, but he's, yeah. he's not locking anything down. Exactly, like he's not a, you know, Trey Young was trying to isolate on him, and he, you know, he's Trey Young, so he's going to cook damn near any big. Uh, in space, but he held he held up surprisingly well against Phoenix. Everybody, the book uh, CP3, like when he was on them, it wasn't barbecue chicken. Yeah. So I see that, and I look at somebody like Bobby Portis. He's now a champion. He's now somebody like once you become a champion as a role player and you're like productive, you are making the MLE in perpetuity. Oh. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like you're just, you're, 
they, like Danny Green, you know, Bobby Portis was a big. They shot, I think he shot what forty percent from three last year. It was like in the regular season. North of forty, I think. I think he was at like maybe like forty-two. Yeah, yeah, like 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 fam, a big that can rebound and is a. Man, I don't feel comfortable calling him a plus defensively, but because man, can hold his own. He there we can. go. There, there we go. I think he's, he's getting. He's getting. Yeah, like that's something else. Like you're not gonna be able to guard him with Patrick Beverly yeah. on a switch. And I just feel like he would fit perfect. And I think his strengths, you know how they they want to surround Luca with shooting. And I think he could play next to Tall Man. Because I think Tall Man is gonna be here no matter what. So you give me Bobby Portis with the MLE, you give me Spence in some type of sign and trade, and you just Tim comes back. I'll be honest, I kind of want Tim. I love Tim, and I wish Tim would move on because Tim is so limited defensively that I think there's a ceiling in how good your team can be if Tim and Luca are on the in the closing lineup. But it is what it is. Like <laughs> that's a battle we're gonna have to fight another day because I, I think that's what's going what's gonna be. I mean, if if Tim's contract is not like outrageous, that's that's a nice trade piece too. At the end of the day, yeah. So like, if you see that an obvious ceiling is being reached, I think I think you can get bailed out and get something decent for like a Tim. But yeah, I agree with the defensive side. I mean, at this point, like I said, this is a part of, you know, a part of the reason why we probably cannot compete for a title as soon as next season there's just too much to fix and typically you can't especially for a team that's not we're not as close as people might think so like like i know luca's good and people are like yeah just put anything around luca and that's it like it's it's not that simple (laughs) like at the end of the day like you have to look at our you know franchise player and as much as luca's great he has flaws and you have to hide the flaws of your franchise players. And, you know, obviously the big flaw is that he's not stopping anyone on the defensive side of the ball. So you need to, you know, get length and athleticism, uh, good defensive players next to him and that, you know, building out a complete roster that takes time. So, so yeah, they, they, I just think they need to, I've said it, I think, I mean, obviously the team, they're going to always want to compete for a championship and you can't ask them to not have that as the goal. But like amongst fans, um, I think you can look at a, you know, successful season being in a position where we have home court advantage, you know, seeing as we were the fifth seed and whether you know, I know me and you, we think it's a fraudulent fifth seed, but at the end of the day, it's still a fifth seed. Um, you'd want to see improvement there. So that'd be having home court advantage. So I think if we have home court advantage and get past the first round, even if we, it's a second round exit, I think you can call that like a successful season, give, given what they had to work with and the fact that they made improvements across the board. So I think that's a positive way of looking at it yeah you uh you brought something up on the timeline that 
Here's the thing, man. Me and you are just regular people who watch a lot of basketball. We're not GMs. We're not that smart. Well, actually, you are smart as hell on the cool. I'm not that smart. And I just look at it like my thing is when I see people passionately want players, my, the thing I keep coming back to is show me when a lineup that poor defensively won a championship. Like, I keep coming back to that. Like, all these pipe dreams about, like, DeMar DeRozan. And I'm just like, dog, I just don't see how it's possible to win a championship with Kristaps Porzingis, Luka Doncic, and DeMar DeRozan. You're not. Defensively. Like, I literally think it's impossible. I think you could have the best offense maybe ever. Like, I'm talking about bubble KP offensively. Uh, DeMar being exactly who he was last year and Luca being a better version of him, but they're not going to stop anybody. And the thing is, not only are they not going to stop anybody, they're not even going to make it hard. Like they're going to let good players get to their spots over and over and over. And I just like, dog, no one's that good. You got to like, when you watch the way the Bucks play defense, it's like, bro, None of that shit was easy. Like, even when Phoenix was, like, hot, that shit wasn't easy. The men's was making hard-ass shots. They're really skilled players, so they made them a lot. But, dog, DeMar DeRozan, Chris Osborzingas, and Luka is not Kevin Durant, uh, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry. Like, that offense ain't going to be that good. They exactly. just ain't. So, like, I, I just look at it, and then I look at DeMar. I don't think DeMar is signing anywhere for low. I don't think he's going to get the money a lot of people do, but I think he's going to want four years at at least 20, and I think he's going to get it from somebody. And yeah, the only way I see DeMar taking a pay cut is if he's going home to the Lakers. Other than yeah. that, yeah, he wants money. Yeah. I, I could see DeMar uh, – and linking up with like I actually think DeMar and Kyle would take less money to go to the Lakers and I, I could see that happen I could see that too I could. like I, I don't think that's like Lakers fans being Laker fans I don't like them boys love to be DeMar loves LA and I could see DeMar taking a haircut to go get his chip but low key this, I don't know if this is a, a hot topic but you run DeMar a traditional big AD LeBron and Kyle. They go. I, I do think they defensively would hide Demar's like weaknesses, but I don't think that offense is going to be that good. Real talk. They got to. They're going to have to bully AD into playing center with a lineup like that. Yeah, I. In the Lakers, like I, I like the rule of winning that championship generally is. You gotta have, you know, top ten offense, top ten defense. Yeah. And I think as much as we want it to be otherwise, just because of who our star is, I think you can get away with mid offense if you have like a top like three player. I think you can get away with having a mid offense as opposed to mid defense. 
at the end of the day, like a top three player, they're gonna make it work. So that's why I'm like the Lakers offense last, especially this past season, is some of the ugliest shit I've ever seen in years. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. for modern offense, it was it was nasty, bro. AD and Drummond pick and rolls with AD as the ball handler. What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> like it, it was nasty. So but they I mean, obviously they didn't win this year, but even last year, they couldn't shoot and they their offense, I think last year they were like maybe 13th. I, I can't even remember, but they were, you know, like mid, a mid offensive team and they still won the title. The Bucks, they couldn't shoot. Like everything we're talking 30, about shooting 30, the Bucks, 32% from 32%. three. I believe it. I know that was for the finals, but I think but that might, so for, that didn't... might have been for the whole, you know what? I'm going to look it up. I'm sorry. Yeah, the whole playoffs, they didn't shoot it well. But they still won because they can lock up. So I think you can get away with having like a basic offense as opposed to um, no defense. Because at the end of the day, you need to stop the other team from scoring too. So your top whatever player can go off. But if you're not stopping their team or their, you know, star from going off, it's just going to be shootout battles. So until I see the Mavs, you know, build a good defensive roster, you know, around Luka, that's when I'll know, like, hey, you know, maybe we can do this. That 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 was like 2011 with Dirk and them, like, those Mavs teams, even the one in 2006 that went to the finals, those teams could guard, you know? Yeah. And then that 2011 team, real good defensive team, so. They, uh, they were eighth in the NBA as far as defensive efficiency. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think something that, that kind of bothers me is when Mavs fans that are my age keep just wanting to get offensive-only players and saying defense don't matter. When literally, the if you look at like the early Dirk teams, those teams were loaded offensively and didn't win shit. Yeah. They were objectively the 2000 and I'd say, shit, man, I'd say every, I'm just thinking about just pure talent just pure number of good players on the team. I don't know if the 2011 team, just for dudes who were good, given and also in their prime, I don't even know if the 2011 team was in like Dirk's top five most talented rosters he, he played with. I really don't. And the, the team I hate more than any was by far his most talented roster. And they got beat in the first round. So you you can't just play all offense. Like the, the two Antoine year, they had Antoine Jameson, Antoine Walker, Dirk, Steve Nash, Michael Finley was still there. You had rookie Josh Howard. You had Marquise Daniels. And them niggas got popped going away in the first round. That's talent. Like, that's a lot of freaking talent. That's the most talented team Dirk played on. And they lost in the first round because you still got to get stops. And I'll admit this, like, I kind of, especially with the run Atlanta was having, like, Atlanta was <laughs> Atlanta was closing games, playing, get, getting big minutes out of Gallo, John Collins, and Trey Young all on the floor at the same time. They fucking beat Philadelphia doing that. But if we being honest with you, like, Ben Simmons had them playing four on five, and that was an out, that's outlier stuff. And not even exactly, and just that, like, 
the teams that the Hawks played up until they got eliminated by the Bucks, those the Knicks, the Sixers, they didn't have really the guards to exploit, you know, like a Trey and a Lou Williams back or like, a, you know, Seth Curry, he ate, but obviously he was giving all them points back on the other end. So that pretty much basically canceled everything out. But yeah, the Knicks, they didn't have guards who like to really exploit and hunt the Trey, Lou, you know, Gallo, all that backcourt. Yeah. And Capella, you know, he's Capella's holding on the paint at the end of the day. I think the scheme that the Hawks ran, like, worked really well. But like you said, that it was an outlier thing for them to be able to get as far as they did with some of the defensive personnel they had. But when they got, you know, Drew and Middleton, you know, like guard, you know, ball handlers that, that could exploit things like that, yeah. you know, they got eliminated. So, yeah. And I, I think, like, because Philly, I think Philly had the number two defense in the league this year in the regular season. But, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to say this. I need to apologize to you for this because I was a Seth Curry. I won't say I was a stand, but Seth was my guy. We got the same birthday. I like the whole energy of you being a role player and like basically outplaying your ex in a playoff series and talking cash shit like you yeah. did against Paul George. Like I just like, I like Seth. I still like Seth. With all that being said, bro, Seth Curry can't guard nobody. Exactly. He, I mean, I don't think people emphasize how enough, like, dog, Kevin Herter didn't cook nobody in the playoffs except him. And he was okay. cooking him. This was like some little brother, big brother shit, like we at the at the park. He was Yeah, it was steamed. Like he was yeah. that was a game plan. Like that was a game plan. Yeah. And for if, if Seth Curry couldn't guard the fourth or fifth best option, like he was literally giving up superstar numbers to the fourth or fifth option on Atlanta. It's like, to me, as bad as Ben Simmons was and as gaudy as Seth Curry's scoring stats was, I'd say that's the second biggest reason why they lost. He didn't play defense. Like, I I, I, like, he was just that bad. I do think if Ben didn't lose his goddamn mind, they still, sh- they still should have won. But if but Seth Curry could, even with Ben losing his mind, if Seth Curry was just league average defensively, they sh- they would have won. Exactly, because Trey was having a stinker. So the fact that Herder was able to carry the offense, that should not happen. Like, if you take out – and this, this isn't uh, an issue of, hey, we're doubling Trey and we're daring – you know, other guys that they weren't daring anybody. <laughs> they weren't daring Herder to beat them. Herder was daring Curry to stop him. And didn't, like, that's what was happening. And it didn't, it didn't happen. So yes, that's, that's exactly why. That's why I, I'm more sensitive to like backcourt players that people, you know, try to suggest to put in a backcourt with Luca because you have to like Luca as much as people want it to be different he's he cannot guard right now he he just he just can't he's not a liability like people drag it you know to be he's not a liability you know he can hold his own when he's focused or and stuff like that but he, he's a he's not good off ball he's not good off ball he's not i think you can't have two people that can't guard in the backcourt we've, we've seen 
the ceiling of teams like that. I'm going to take it even one step further. I don't think, I don't think this team will win a championship until Luka is the worst perimeter defender. I don't even think this team will be a realistic contender until that takes place. Yeah. And, and this is why, like, God, I love Tim, but Tim, you can't play, you can't play defense, Tim. He can't. He can't. DeMar DeRozan can't. And I'm not talking about, like, those dudes as league average. Them dudes are... They're bad. They're negative. They're, they're like, dumpster fire just defensively. Like, the advanced numbers say it. The eye test says it. So, you just can't win like that. So, I don't... Like, I guess if DeMar and Kyle is a, is a package deal, I kind of would accept that just because I like Kyle. I, I, you know, it's kind of like Nico Harris and Jason Kidd. Yeah. I don't really fuck with Jason Kidd, but I guess if that's what it takes to get Nico. But I, I, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't think you can win. I don't think you can, I don't even think we could get out the second round with DeMar, and not in the West. If we in the East, we might be able to get, get to the finals, but not in the West. Yeah, I think I think it's flipped. Like defense is king. That's that's what I learned throughout these whole playoffs. At the end of the day, like yes, you need to probably have a dynamic offense and a modern offense to win, but you have to guard and you have to be able to be able to have the personnel that can execute multiple coverages. Yeah. So. If you know you you gotta switch it up, you can't give you know a team a same look. So the fact that you know for us Mavs, if if you know our starters were eating big minutes, the most I guess effective, well not really effective, but the most effective for that particular lineup, defensive coverage it would have been drop, and you can't play drop coverage I don't think for too long because teams can beat that, especially with the personnel we had. And I mean, Josh Bowie pointed it out in my um, because I had made a tweet because uh, I was just flabbergasted at Kawhi's numbers in the first round. You know, he shot sixty percent. You know, he's not a big; he's a wing. And this is on jumpers. You know, like he, he shot in just an insane um percentage from the field. And Josh Bowie, yeah, he made a good point. And yeah, the, the, our point of attack defense is trash and our rim protection is trash. You can't have both and think you you can't have both of that happen and think you can be, for, you know, further than a first round exit team. That's when people are like, oh, we should have beaten the Clippers. We should have this. We should have that. I don't think so. We really went as far as we should have. If you look at the circumstances and all the context and that defense, that defense, like if look look at who got eliminated. We got eliminated. Portland got eliminated. Yeah. Portland, you know, Portland was worse than us defensively. And we both were out of the first round. That to me, that tracks. And you know, Denver, they weren't all that great defensively. What happened when they faced a good team? Swept. <laughs> you know, swept. So I think I think it tracks when you look at um the teams that got eliminated. Like like you said, I think Atlanta was the only um team that um you know were kind of outlier-ish and even then their defense wasn't you know too horrible and on the other hand you're saying well you know good defensive team that that got you know sent home early but the Knicks the Knicks were a good defensive team but 
not really necessarily in the playoffs because I think their defensive principles allowed they their defensive principles I think got figured out and they never really adjusted. Like they never adjusted how they guarded Trey Young. So like I think I think it's like you, you just have to guard. You have to guard. Like our defense was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. I thought we had turned a corner, you know, early in the season. I looked like Boo with a fool. They made me look goofy. But but it's it's fine. <laughs> I didn't anticipate Porzingis was gonna decline like this. And if you have to reinsert Timmy in the lineup, Timmy, Luca, and Porzingis, them three alone. Whichever team's playing them, they can easily, easily, easily get like five, six buckets off just backdoor cuts easily <laughs> with those three in the lineup. That's how bad like their off-ball awareness is on a defensive end. Tim, Luca, Porzingis is horrible. The, remember that Warriors game, the first one when we lost by like a million points yeah. to, to them? I just remembered back cuts galore. Draymond Green cooked that defense. It was just backdoor cut after backdoor cut. I think that was probably Luca's like worst defensive performance of the whole season. It was horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. So yeah, they gotta figure out the defense. I know we're all preoccupied on oh secondary score, secondary just they gotta they, they have a lot of work to do. This is the that, point. That, fam, that's why I want Spence instead of DeMar. Like there's actually even offensive stuff, like believe it or not. Spence is actually better at getting to the bat, uh, at drawing fouls than DeMar, which is lightweight shocking. Like, Spence is literally one of the best players in NBA at getting to the foul line. On, like, he just is. He just gets fouled. And he can catch and shoot. And Spence ain't a great defender, but he's shown extended periods of being slightly above average, of not being a liability. DeMar DeRozan has literally never shown that at any any time in his career. Maybe his first couple years in the league, maybe. But the bulk of his career, he's been a disaster defensively. So much so that they literally put him at the power forward because he couldn't even it, – it, it was there was no point in trying to get him to guard this man one through three. Mm-hmm. And I just – Honestly, I don't want to dismiss anybody's opinion, but y'all trying to win a championship or no? You know what I mean? Like, that's Mm -hmm. where I'm at with some of these theories. Like, and I know you're like, well, you want Rashawn Holmes to play next to KP. Well, fucking Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson won a championship, right? In 2016. And they were in the finals, and if it wasn't for a goddamn super team, they had as good a chance as any other team in the league at doing it three years ago. But I don't think that's a, a good contextual example, given the fact that LeBron James was also on that team. <laughs> and LeBron James is, you know, you can argue, you know, greatest of all time, second greatest of all time. He's top three at, at worst. Right. So I, I think, and even with the Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson um thing, I mean, Kevin Love wasn't that great in those playoffs, but Kevin Love was sort of a a diet unicorn big that we kind of see like at the time, like he, he could shoot the ball. He could pass, you know, he was a great rebounder. He could do a lot of things. He could do a lot of different things. So he was still of the mold of the, you know, eighties. Giannis is obviously, like I said, he's not as, he was not as good as them, 
but it's still in that same mold. So I think even then, it still goes to the point where that, especially that four spot, I think it's usually the four spot, not the center, um, where you need to have a real like dynamic guy for your two big lineup to like really work. I, I will I will say this because, like I said, this is I, I think this is our, our our big disagreement. If you look at Kevin Love's numbers in the playoffs during that total finals runs, those finals runs where he, you know, he actually played, not, not, I'm not uh, counting 15, going 16, 17, 18. Like, Buddy was, you know, he, he wasn't that efficient. He, I'm talking about 40% from the field in the playoffs. You know, the three ball was wet the first three years, including the year they won the championship. But, you know, like he basically put up similar numbers to KP did this year, the year they won the championship. And to me, like defensively, you can't tell me Chris Porzingis at his absolute dumpster fire worse is worse than Kevin Love has been or was when they was making those runs. Now, I hear what you're saying, and it's a very valid point. Like, people say LeBron don't play defense, and he don't in the regular season. But that, that dude plays it in the, in the uh, uh, he plays okay. it in the postseason. He just does. So, Luca, Luca, I don't think Luca physically has the ability to he become a two-way monster not. the way uh, Kevin Love does. I'm mean, Kevin Love, the way LeBron did. So I get it. I understand it. I, I, I just, man, I, as we talk, talk about this more, I, I'm starting to question, like, how easy is it going to be to build a championship team around Luka? Because, buddy, I don't think Luca's a bad defender. Like I don't think he's Trey. I don't even think Luca's Kyrie Irving defensively. But I think he's better than both of them dudes. Um, but I think he has to be the worst defender. I don't think you can build a top ten defense. I don't think it's possible to build a top ten defense unless one of your bigs is like uh, Rudy Gobert, right? Yeah. And then even that, how is that going to hold up? Like, because while we on this topic, we packed up Rudy. Let's let's keep it 100. That needs to be reevaluated because Rudy did kind of get picked on in the uh, playoffs. But the Jazz don't have nobody that can play defense on the wing. You got to have both in the playoffs. You got to have both. You have to. So this is, once again, if Tim's coming back, even if Tim don't come back, if you swap Tim with DeRozan, I just, bro, I, I just don't see how that team wins a championship or is a real contender. I just don't. They're not, which is why I've said the focus needs to be shifted to looking for improvements rather than winning a title. It's hard to win a title, especially this early. Like, yeah. if you look at Giannis, you know, we're talking about his resume, you know, and, you know, all his accolades. And I mean, he's young, he's 26, but he's still 26, year eight in the league. You know, he, he's had time to, you know, season to cook, 
to be, you know, battle tested, to have his failures in the playoffs and stuff. I feel like, we, you know, Luca should, you know, this this is normal. This is natural. Yes, he's insanely good at this age. And, you know, Giannis wasn't at, you know, the same age. But at the end of the day, it's still a process. And if you can show Luca that you are making improvements, you know, yearly while selling him on the fact that, hey, you know, this will be great for your, you know, internal development into, you know, one day getting over the hump. I, th- I think that's fine. I think he'd be cool, you know, okay with that. I think, you know, obviously one team wins the chip. And like I said, every team, well, not every team, but most teams, you know, have the goal of winning the title, but there's, you know, some self-awareness and, you know, realism in that thought process at the same time. So if you build it, if going into a training camp, every player on the team should have a sense of what the ceiling of the team could be and what the floor of the team is. So I think if you can go into training camp with a team that can at least compete for a deep playoff run, I think you can satisfy your franchise star that way. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, because I'm just looking at the schedule and I think our next pod is going to be the night of free agency. So I don't even think we're going to have a chance to get this off because hell, I think our team for next year is going to pretty much be in stone. We're going to be finding out live on the air what our team is going to be next year. So I I do want to get this take off about what I envision building a championship team looks with our assets and current situation. I think this summer, like we shouldn't be shooting for the moon unless Kawhi is coming and even then he ain't playing next year. So I, I, I don't, there's nothing that's happening this year that's making us a championship team. There's nothing that's happened happening this off season barring something totally unforeseen that's making this team even a a guaranteed if you if we looking at brooklyn and milwaukee those those two teams are better than us out out uh, out east and i'd argue depending on what happens with philly even if philly runs it back to keep it 100 with you i think they better than us too yeah I think they're better than we realistically can hope to be, uh, even with some the upgrades that I want. So that's three teams that's better than us. I think the Lakers, they're the goddamn Lakers. They're going to figure out a way to get somebody they shouldn't, that no other team in the NBA would get at the price. So I think they're going to be better than us next year. Yeah. I think uh, – I definitely think uh, – Looking at the standards, I think we I think we'll be better than the Clippers because I don't think Kawhi is gonna play. Yeah. And I, I still think the Suns will be better than us because I don't think Chris Paul is going anywhere. Yeah, um, I don't think so either. And I I hell, I think that Utah will be better than us as far as a regular season team, even if Mike Conley leaves. I I just think they have like you can trade uh man, I'm Joe Ingles, you can, like, those dudes got value, so I think you'd be able to bolster your team. And they had a lot of injuries. I don't think Donovan Mitchell's going to miss as much time as he did. He's still a young dude. So that's, you know, seven teams that I think it's illogical to think we're going to be better than them next year. So 
I don't think we should be blowing our wide this year for, I, I hate to keep picking on this dude, but DeMar DeRozan, because I just, I think that's a sucker bet. I just do. Because um, I think DeMar is of the age to where he's probably going to be good for a year or two, but I just think if you give him a four-year contract, that's a bad contract in the next 36 months. I just do. And um, I look at like the other players that's available. That's why I'm taking Bobby Portis for $10 million. I'm taking Rashawn Holmes for $15 million because at their age and their price anticipated contracts, even if it don't work out, you can move them. You signed DeMar DeRozan, man, that shit, bro, he's there. He's there all four years. No one's trading for that unless you attach assets to it. So in my opinion, I want these dudes to like, give me a Spencer Dimwitty for, you know, 18 to 20 M's. You can maybe even stretch it out to 21. Give me Bobby Portis on the MLE. And then, you know, if you're going to keep Tim cool, I, I would prefer to Tim to move on. But if you give Tim 18 to 20 million a year, as long as he keeps shooting 40% from three, he, he's not a negative asset, even if he's not an optimal fit. I just don't want us to shoot for the moon this offseason and get locked in to dudes that's better than what we got, but ain't going to take us to the championship. And I, and in my opinion, the move that's going to make or break the Luca era in Dallas, the Drew Holiday bullet, where you trade like three first round picks and some bad money to get the piece that takes you from being a top four team in the West to a championship team that's happening draft night next year when you can trade 22 25 and 27 plus kp or hell maybe one of the dudes we signed this offseason that's when the move to win a championship happens we just got to get incrementally better without being without that being the floor i'm sorry without being incrementally better, making the second round without being locked into that roster uh, for the next four years and only being able to get better after KP leaves. Yeah. Like, like I, I just want to make incremental improvements. I don't want to give out big money to anybody that ain't like hands down one of the best, I'd say two or three, uh, a third option on the championship team. And for me, big money is 25 million or more over four years. I damn near give anybody, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna say anybody, but if it's just a three-year contract or a two-year contract, even though I don't want DeMar, I take DeMar for two or three years. I'm not taking him for four though. That, that's fair, that's fair. But that's just my take. Um, how do you see realistically the pathway of them building a championship team over the next two years? Um, like you kind of said, it, it will have to be through a trade. I don't think it's going to be a big, you know, free agent signing. I think it'll be some trade that we're not even, that's not even on the radar, honestly. I think those are usually the trades that happen. Like, all the rumors, especially in the Mavs case, like, 
it's never the rumored trade. It's always something random. So I think something random is going to pop up and they're going to pull the trigger. And hopefully it has greater success, I would say, than like the Porzingis move. Yeah. I think uh, I think KP is going to be the salary filler um, for like a big trade. I think KP, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I think KP is going to have a good year offensively next year by hook or by crook. I, I just, I think, <laughs> I'm just going to keep it real with you. I think almost to the detriment of team success, they are going to make sure his uh, – offensive stats look good next year they're gonna a try to keep them happy and then b they know they got to try to move buddy so i think they're gonna do whatever it takes to inflate his value um next year and i think kp is going to be the salary filler with three first round draft picks or should a sign and trade kp with a sign and trade brunson I think that's going to be more. I don't even know who this mythological package is going to be for, but that's what I think is going to happen. Now, who knows? Like you said, maybe KP comes back better. And they, it's uh, If KP don't get better defensively, there's a part of me that hopes. Because I just, as long as he's on your roster, no matter what he, unless he turns into Joker, Jokic, there's a ceiling on what a team with him on it can be. No matter what he, unless he literally becomes Nikola Jokic offensively, which I don't think is going to happen. If he still, even if he gets a little bit better defensively, he has to get back to what he was in New York, what he was most of 1920. Or there's just a, there's a hard ceiling on how good a, a team with him on it can be. Yeah, I get that. Anyway, that's uh, that's all I got, ma'am. Did you have uh, anything else you want to add? No, that was it. Bring back our big men. That's that's all I gotta add. You said bring bring back, bring back our big men. Yeah, big men that actually want to be big men. Oh yeah, yeah. That's my takeaway. Yeah, I that's hey man. You was hating on Rashawn Holmes. I'm trying to. I'm trying to get him to Dallas. I'm trying to get him to Dallas. Just messing with you, but y'all, this is uh, another episode of 21 Going On 77. Thank y'all for listening. I am your, one of your hosts, uh, Dwight at five one seven two two one four. Join with uh, every week, well, mostly every week, with Young SJ at SJ Basketball and the number eight. Thank y'all for listening to us. Um, We will catch y'all later. Peace. Peace.